Once again, it is good to have you with us today. We're so glad that you joined us for service today. Uh, we're going to get into the message. We're going to turn to the Word of God. Would you open in your Bibles today to Matthew chapter 13? Uh, the words will be up on the screen, but if you have your Bibles with you, you can turn there as well. We've been in a series this year called God Is, and we've been asking the important question, who is God? And, and for some people, they might respond to that question and go, well, I already know who God is. And I tell you right now that that is the perfect time to ask again the question, who is God? Because here's what I know of God, and scholars and theologians would agree with this, is that we can never fully understand and know who God is. He is beyond our comprehension. He is beyond our understanding. And so there's never going to be a point in our lives where we fully know who he is. In fact, the posture of our lives should always be this. God, I know I don't know everything about you. And I want to know. I want to learn. And God, I'm willing that you would even break things in me, break things in my thinking that are wrong about who you are so I can fully understand or more fully understand who you are. Uh, we've been taking time this year to read through our God is journals. It's a Lectio Divina journal that has a, a Bible reading plan that if you are using that plan, you'll notice that some of the reading from this past week will be a part of today's message. You can access those, by the way, online at thriveglendor.org. You can download a digital copy of the journal. Uh, and then we do still have some hard copies. If you'd like one of those, please, please let us know. You can uh, fill out a Connect card and let us know if you'd like us to send you uh, one of the hard copies of the journal at no cost to you. Well, I don't know about you, but I am really good at starting projects. My garage is full of projects that have been started and I still need to finish. I, I love my personality type, my temperament is, I love the excitement of a new challenge, something, something fun to wrap my head around, to start getting into, to check out, uh, to, to build, to fix, to, I, I just enjoy it. I enjoy the challenge. Uh, I come up I love coming up with creative ways to, to do things. And so, uh, as I mentioned, there's, if you go in my garage, uh, my workbench, there's a bunch of things that have been started, but maybe haven't finished, been finished all the way to completion. Now, I know some of you right now are listening to that and, and you're squirming on your couch or in your seat because that just drives you nuts. The idea that someone could start something and not finish it uh, is beyond you and and. Uh, if that's you, uh, I'm sorry, <laughs> and, and I, I, I appreciate your value for getting those things done, but I know some others of you are going, well, Pastor Barry, that's me. I, uh, I can relate. I, I love doing that. I love starting things, and then sometimes I lose interest, or I get busy on other things, or I start other new projects in the midst of the new project I already have, and, uh, and I need to get better at doing that as well. Well, the Apostle Paul writes to us in Philippians chapter 1, verse 3 through 6. He writes this, says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to the completion until completion, until 
the day of Christ Jesus, that he will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So catch this. He who began a good work in you, who began a good work in you? Not you. You, you didn't begin a good work in you. Jesus began a good work in you. And the Apostle Paul tells us this, that the one who started the work in you will carry it on to completion. He will finish what he started. I love that uh, Jesus is not like me in the sense that he finishes what he starts, that what he sets his mind to do, the, the things that he starts doing in us, he will take it all the way through to fruition, to completion. Let me tell you what Paul's writing here is a radical way of thinking. It's a radical way of thinking. It's a major paradigm shift. He, what he's saying here is this. You don't have what it took to start something good. You don't have what it took. You don't, you don't possess the ability to start something good in yourself. And what's more is you don't have what it takes to finish that work. You didn't have what it takes to, to get it started. Jesus had to do that. And you don't have what it takes to finish the job. You might be thinking, well, thanks a lot. That's really encouraging. Some of you might be thinking, well, what about, you know, discipline? We've got to be disciplined and we've got to be self-controlled. And absolutely, yes, those are things that we see clearly outlined in Scripture. In fact, they are critical. But can I tell you today, you are not disciplined enough. The, the most disciplined person listening to this message today, you are not disciplined enough. You are not self-controlled enough. You are not strong enough to finish what God has started. You're just not. That we need God to finish what he started in our lives. We didn't have what it took to start the work, and we don't have what it takes to finish the work. Only God does. So the writer of Hebrews says is that God is both the author and the finisher or the perfecter of our faith. See, too many of us have bought into the idea that we are in control. That we somehow possess the control we need to carry on this Christian life. To finish the work that God has started. And if this season that we're in is a reminder of anything, it's this. We are absolutely not in control that God is the author and finisher. He is the initiator. He is the one who starts. He is the one who sustains. And he is the one who carries us to the end. I've been watching as uh, many post about what they're doing in this time where they're limited in movement and being able to, to get out and, and move around. And uh, there's lots of new hobbies springing up. And one thing that I've always enjoyed that I've kind of gotten back to here in the last few weeks is gardening. I find it to be a, a fun way to relax. Uh, it's starting to warm up here in California and we're, we're full on, well, we kind of skipped spring. We went right from winter right into summer, but that's, that's something else completely. Um, but I enjoy gardening. We have a, a nice little backyard and we have 
uh, kind of a raised bed area that uh, this spring, my wife and I, Megan and I decided we're going to put in a vegetable garden. We're going to grow some things that uh, later on this summer we'll get to enjoy and, and eat. And, uh, you know, I've had a, a few goes at, at gardening in the past, um, but I mentioned earlier, sometimes I like to start things and then I don't finish them always or finish them through to the end. And gardening is one of those things that sounds really fun up front, and then you realize it's a lot of work. It's just a lot of work. It's not just planting a seed or putting a, a, a plant in the ground. You have to work at caring for the soil, caring for the plant, making sure everything is watered, making sure if there's a, a heat wave that comes through that your plants don't wither and die. See, there are some things that need to happen in order to enjoy the harvest or to see a crop. First of all, you have to cultivate the land. You have to cultivate the soil. The, the pH has to be right. There has to be the right mix of, of sand and loam and soil. Uh, it has to have the right nutrients in the ground. You have to plant plants in the right season. There are certain plants that will only grow in the winter and other plants will only grow in the summer. Some plants require a lot of sunlight and some plants require less. You, you have to look out for pests and diseases. You have to feed and nourish the plants all through their growing cycle. And you have to give it time. You have to give it time. Two years ago, I was at Home Depot in the garden section, dreaming about some things I could do in my yard. And I don't know if you ever noticed that maybe your home store, uh, they usually have a section of plants that are uh, kind of on their last leg. It's like the take this home plant home and you know at a reduced price or it's going to die kind of scenario. And so there was a bag that had a stick coming out of it and uh, and then one or two little leaves on it and the tag said peach tree and so uh, I picked it up at a, a really good deal and I took it home and I planted it in the backyard and I thought this is great we're gonna have peaches now it really was more a peach stick than it was a peach tree so it's been a couple of years and I went out just a few weeks ago and looked at the tree, and there had been some flowers. There was a few more branches. In fact, here's a little quick picture of, of the tree. And you'll notice that this little tree that now only has five or six branches on it actually has fruit. And I'm super excited, but it's taken two years. Now, here's what I know. All of you horticulturalists out there who, who know uh, plants and trees and such, you know that the peaches I get this year are probably not going to be that great. But that's okay, because I know next year is going to be better than this year. I'm just excited. We have peaches. They're little, and, and they'll grow into whatever they grow into. But here's the principle. It takes time. It takes lots of time. Now, different crops, you can plant watermelon, and they will grow profusely. They will grow more quickly. Tomatoes will grow more quickly. Peaches, avocados, and, and, and fruits and vegetables like that will take more time. Either way, you can't rush this. There's no fast forward button that you can hit on growing a crop and producing a harvest. Today, as we talk about God is, as I was reading this week and considering who is God, what am I learning about him in the scripture, in the passages this week, and it, 
kind of coinciding with my time in the garden and digging and, and, and moving soil around, I realized this. God is a cultivator. He is a cultivator. This is why we're asking these questions. This is why we're coming to the word and saying, God, t- tell me about who you are. We're not asking of the word. We're not saying, God, what's in it for me? Asking this question and saying, God, who are you? And we discover things like this, and it can be so timely and so tied to what's going on in our lives. See, God is a cultivator. Let's read out of Matthew 13, verses 1 through 9. It says this, That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. And some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil, and it sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. And other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Pretty neat. Jesus here in, in this moment is preaching to the masses and just kind of a little parenthetical thought. Uh, he, there were so many people, they couldn't all hear him, and, and he was getting crowded, so he gets into the boat and puts out to... Uh, to into the lake a little distance and uh, you know what I imagine Jesus knew is this is that sound carries better over water than it does over land and he used that setting as a as a natural amplifier for his voice so he could reach more more people I'm I'm thinking about and been reminded of this even over these last few weeks as we find ourselves meeting in a different uh, setting in a different way where the church globally has been asked and required to adjust to how we gather and how we meet together. And it's not unlike, unlike what Jesus did here, finding new methods of reaching people who need to hear the truth. But in this moment, he teaches them and he, he, he uses, an, uses an illustration of something that would have been familiar. See, Jesus lived in an agrarian culture. That, that means that there was a lot of farming happening around uh, Israel uh, in, in all of these communities. See, for most of us, almost all of us, we don't know or see where our food comes from. It just shows up in the grocery store. And sometimes some of that food is coming from thousands of miles away, even places uh, on the other side of the world. But that wasn't the case in Jesus's day. See, the the fields and the orchards uh, around the community provided the food for that community because they lacked refrigeration and, and the, the means of transport that we had today. You couldn't preserve a crop and, and transport it thousands of miles or even hundreds of miles. So what was farmed around the community was consumed in that community, which means that the crowd would have been familiar with farming techniques. Because as they went in and out of the city, they would have seen the farmer doing his work, sowing his seed. And so there was this familiarity. And so Jesus uses a parable 
uh, and a metaphor that is familiar to the people. And he talks about these four different soils. Now, he says that the farmer goes out to scatter seeds. Now, if you've seen a, a modern farm, you know that all of the plants grow in neat rows, and we have equipment and machinery that allow us to plant things in, in perfectly straight rows. In fact, it's sometimes mind-boggling how modern-day farmer will use GPS and different tools like that to make sure everything is just maximized and that making the most of that land. Well, uh, the farmer in biblical times didn't have that ability, and so they would have a sack of seed, and, and they would just scatter or broadcast the seed. And so in the midst of that, the, the, the crop would just spring up. The soil would have to do the work of receiving that seed. And, and, and in order to guarantee a good crop, the, the farmer would make sure to scatter a lot of seed. He didn't, uh, he didn't sow or scatter the seed sparingly, as the Word of God says, that those who sow sparingly will reap sparingly. But if we sow abundantly, we will reap a greater harvest. And so the farmers would sow abundantly. Well, invariably, as they were sowing their seed, some of that seed, as Jesus points out, would land on the path where people would walk. And if you've ever been on a dirt path that's been traversed, a lot, a lot of people have walked back and forth. You realize that, that that sand and that soil gets compacted, and there's no way for the seed to get down into the soil. Jesus talks about the rocky soil, the soil that there's, there's enough of the loose soil that the seed is taken into the soil, but there's rocks that prevent the roots of that plant really taking hold and getting down to where the nourishment is. And he talks about the thorny ground, the soil where uh, the, the, the seed takes root, but then the thorns and, and, and the weeds around it choke it out and rob it of the life that it needs. And then, of course, he talks about the good soil, the soil that receives the word of God. Well, I want to talk for just a minute about each of these. So what is the compacted hard path? What, what is Jesus talking about here? Later on in the same chapter, he, he's explaining this parable to the disciples. See, even the disciples understood the principles of farming, but they didn't make the connection to what Jesus was trying to say. And so he unpacks it for them. And he says this, see that the path, this hard soil is the person who doesn't understand the word of God. I love the picture, by the way, of the farmer scattering the seed liberally, giving a lot of seed. The picture here, of course, is, is the heart of God, that he is scattering his seed, his word, his truth, that Jesus came to scatter the seed, and he doesn't scatter sparingly. He scatters generously. He, he sows a lot of seed. But for those where there's compacted and hard hearts, those who don't receive are, are the ones who don't understand, who, who don't know what it is that they're listening to. And so there's not even a chance for that seed to sink into the soil and have an opportunity to grow before the enemy will come and snatch it away. Jesus said, then talks about the rocky soil, and he says the rocky soil is the person who receives the seed gladly. They're, they're excited about what they've heard. And, and the, there's enough soil that, that the roots can actually start taking hold. And, and maybe this plant can start growing, maybe even producing some fruit. And then Jesus says, when persecution comes because of the word, because of who Jesus is and because of truth, that they're not able to withstand that persecution. 
and, and that seed falls away, that plant falls away. In fact, one of our other points of reading this week was in John chapter 7, verse 33. And, and Jesus, after he had preached, uh, there were people that were saying, well, he is the Messiah and he must be the one, yet others were divided. And, and in John seven thirty-three, it says this, thus the people were divided because of Jesus. See, when it comes to truth, when it comes to who Jesus is, there are those that will full, full on wholeheartedly receive the truth. And then those, there are those who will not only not receive, but will persecute or uh, resist the truth of God. And, and what Jesus is saying is that there are those when they come under persecution because of their faith, whether from internally or externally, will then fall away. He moves on to the thorny ground and he says the thorny ground is the seed that falls in, in the midst of the weeds. What are those weeds? What are those thorns? It says it's the cares of the world and the, the lure of wealth that, that draws them away. People who hear the message of God but then get distracted by the things of the world. See, the seed takes root, but it is choked out. There are other things that are competing. And then finally, Jesus says, and then there's the good soil. It receives, understands, takes root, and produces a harvest a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Paul again writes to the church in Colossae in Colossians 2, verse 6, and he says this, So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in Him rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. He says here that we need to live our lives because he started the work in us, that he initiated something in us, he extended this invitation to us, and then as he did, that we respond to that invitation, and now we live our lives in him. Live your lives in him, rooted and built up, or rooted and established, as some translations would say. See, in the four soils, in the picture of these four different conditions, we need to note this. Each one involves surrender. Every one of them, every one of those conditions, the hard heart, the one that is rocky, the one that has, is distracted or has the cares of the world pressing in or choking out, each one of these, and, and even in the good soil, each one of these involves surrender. So let me ask you this. Who softens hard hearts? God does. And who sustains us in the midst of trials when opposition comes? God does. And who provides and ministers to the cares of this world? and takes care of every need that we have. God does. And who cultivates a heart that is receptive? God does. See, at this point, it's at this point that we recognize that God is a cultivator. Now, I've heard this passage preached many times in my life and my ministry, and I have, in fact, preached on this. And, and I think there's a way that we can interpret this message, and we can interpret this passage that, that goes something like this. Before I can receive what God has for me, I have to do some work in my life to, get, to, to, to bring about some change so I'm receptive. And I believe there's something faulty in that. 
Because it puts on, this, uh, on us this idea that we can control the condition of our hearts. What we simply need to do, though, is surrender. That we need to come to him and, and ask the cultivator of our hearts to do a work in us. See, Galatians 5 talks about the fruit of the Spirit. And we, we celebrate that. We, we look forward to that. We want that. We want the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. These are things that we should long for to see produced in our lives. But, but I think that the, the problem is this, is that we can come to a place where we think that God sets us on this path with Him, starts this relationship, and then says, okay, now go produce fruit in your own strength. Just, just go do it. And the reality is we don't have what it takes to produce fruit. All we can do is surrender ourselves to the cultivator, to the one who needs to do a work in us. And that begins with the soil of our lives. It begins with the condition of our lives. And instead of me being able to say, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work on those rocky places. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to break up those hard places. I'm going to pull out those weeds. Rather than me doing the work, rather than you doing the work, the invitation is for us to come to him and say, God, would you do this work in my life? Would you remove the rocks? Would you break up the hard places? Would you remove the cares, the, the, the weeds? Would you nurture me every step of the way? See, he prepares the soil. He plants the seed. He nurtures and cares for, for us every step of the way. See, he provides nourishment through his Holy Spirit. Bible tells us, Jesus tells us that the Holy Spirit will remind us of truth, that he will be our comforter, comforter that he will fill us with strength, that we are prov provided with nourishment through the word of God, through prayers, through worship, and through community and fellowship. The Bible's telling us here, and Jesus is telling us that he protects the seedling when it is vulnerable, when it's just starting to grow, that he will protect that seedling. The Bible also tells us that God will prune us for growth and for fruitfulness, and that he delights and he celebrates in us every step of the way. You see, God is a cultivator. He is the one who is committed to seeing something produced in our lives. He initiated it, and he says that he will complete what he started, and he's really good at finishing what he started. Jesus says this to us in John 15, 5, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. And listen to this. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Pay close attention to what Jesus is saying. He says, first of all, remain in me. Remain in me. Stay connected. Stay connected to who I am. Don't lose sight of who I am in your life. Understand who I am. Ask that, ask that question, who is God? Don't lose sight. Stay connected to the vine. There's a sense of rest that's conveyed here as well. If you go out and look at a plant in your garden, a tree or a bush or, 
or, uh, you know, whatever, whatever plant that you're looking at, you know this, that the, the branch just has to stay connected. And there's not really a sense of effort that's there. The branch is either connected or it's not. And the invitation for us is this, just stay connected and rest in God. F- find that nourishment, find that, that, that flow, that, that place of refreshing in him. There's also a sense of trust that comes here. Jesus is saying, stay connected to me. Don't, don't try and go and fix it on your own. Don't try and find, out, find clever solutions to the problems and the issues in your life. Stay connected to me. And he finishes the thought after saying, you will bear much fruit. If you stay connected, you will, not you might, you will bear fruit. And then he makes this statement, apart from me, you can do nothing. Remember at the beginning I said, you're you're not strong enough. You're not disciplined enough. You don't have what it takes. The most disciplined person doesn't have what it takes to do the work on their own. We need God. We need to stay connected to Jesus. We need a cultivator. None of us can do this on our own. And we need God to tend to our lives. He will finish what he has started. So let me ask you today, in response, where are you inviting and asking God to work in your life? Maybe even in the midst of this message today, the Holy Spirit stirring in your heart, maybe identifying some hard places that need to be broken up maybe some rocky places where uh, because of persecution or, or, or pressure against you, you feel like you're fading or falling away. Or maybe those thorny places, those places where the cares of the world, and believe me, we all recognize there are so many cares of the world right now, but remember that God is bigger than the cares of this world. He is our source. He is our provider. He is our strength. Where are the places where you need to invite the cultivator of your heart to come in and do a work in you? And let me ask you this as well. How are you remaining? What does remaining look like in your life? How does it look for you to stay connected to the person of Jesus Christ? We all have different ways where we get to celebrate and be with Jesus, experiencing him But I also know this, that we need to make sure we're connecting with him in prayer. Now, for some people, that's, uh, I go into my prayer closet. For, For others, it's, I'm in my backyard. But would you make sure that you're taking time to talk to Jesus, to spend time with God in prayer, spend time with him and his word, allow his word to nourish you, to impart something to you. Find yourself and set aside times for yourself to worship to lift your voice, to lift your hands before the Lord. In fact, this worship set that we just enjoyed today, this video will be available. Pull it up again. Listen to it again. Worship along again. Find a rhythm of worship. These next things, I I really want you to, 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 to pay attention to this. Where are you resting? Is there space in your life right now for rest and Sabbath? Are you taking time to just be? to not produce, to not feel like you have to perform, but just to be, to just rest. 
and allow God to refresh you in that? Are you taking time to be with family or even finding ways, whether through Zoom calls or, or FaceTime, to connect with people outside of your home? We still need community. How are you remaining in Him? We're going to close today with communion because I believe that communion is the greatest example and the greatest reminder of what it means to remain. See, as Paul said, that Jesus began a good work in us, and it was the cup and the bread. There's the symbols of his blood and his body poured out for us and broken and beaten for us that initiated that work, that did something in us that we could not do for ourselves. In fact, Jesus came knowing that we couldn't do it on our own. If we could have, he would have used that option, but we couldn't. And so God in his great mercy sends his son for us to die on a cross and to raise again. In so doing, he initiates a work in us. He starts a work in us that he is faithful to complete. The Bible says, as Jesus was sitting with his disciples, as he broke bread, he said that he would not partake again of these elements until his return, until we get to share with him in his kingdom. And there's a future picture for us of the ultimate fulfillment of God's work in our lives. As we receive communion today, if you need to gather those elements, or uh, whether it's bread or a cracker or some juice or water, whatever that would look uh, like, we're going to receive communion and we're going to remember what God has done for us. We're going to remember that this is an invitation to simply come and rest. It's a reminder that God has done the work, that he has paid the price, and through his brokenness, we are made whole. So Jesus, today, we thank you that you are our cultivator, that you are doing a work in us, that you are moving us forward. Lord, as we stay connected, as we remain in you, that you are doing something mighty in each one of us. We give you praise. I pray that we would learn to relinquish control that we would learn to let go and that we would let you do the work in us that you need to do. Jesus, we thank you for your body, which is broken for us. We thank you for the reminder, Lord, that because of your, your brokenness, because of the suffering you endured in your body, that our lives are made whole. And so we receive today this bread with grateful hearts for what you have done. Let's receive the bread together. And Jesus, we're thankful for the cup, for the blood that was shed, this reminder, Lord, of the covenant that was established, the covenant that says that you started the work and you will complete the work, that you are the author and finisher of our faith. I pray that as we receive this cup today, that we would be reminded that we are not in control, that you are firmly in control of our lives. We give you praise as we receive together. Amen. Amen.
Well, it's been great having you with us today. I pray you you have a blessed rest of your day. Take some time to be with your family, encourage each other. Uh, Maybe even right after uh, this message, we maybe just stop for a few minutes and share maybe one or two things that the Lord spoke to you in the midst of this message. Uh, Again, if you were with us today, fill out a Connect card. We'd love the opportunity to say hi. Otherwise, we look forward to seeing you next time. God bless you.